What is the place of works? The Bible labors to tell us they have no place in securing our salvation. There's no boasting. Well, then is there no place for works? May it never be. The scripture would answer. This is why this text is such a balanced text, and it brings us right around to what the role of works is. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, I've been pointing out as we've gone through this book that there are two times the Bible uses this term, poema, workmanship. It's the work of an artisan. It's something that God has done. Now, verse 10 says, we, the church, are His workmanship. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, Saved by Grace. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. In the middle of the night, that jailer who cried out to Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? Paul said, What? In effect, he said, You don't do anything. You believe in the God who has done it. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. God did it. God's love acted and sent his son to be the Savior, that whoever believes might in him have eternal life. When Abraham was saved, Romans says, the scripture says he believed God and he was justified. In fact, three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, he goes back and he quotes Habakkuk and he says, the righteous man, the one who's right with God, lives by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. And then notice he says here, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And people say, what's the that? The faith? Is faith a gift from God? Yeah. Is the grace? Yeah. In fact, the whole concept, the salvation by grace through faith, is a gift from God. God is the author of salvation from A to Z. And you know, as you read it, and when you stop and really kind of, I mean, we, we might, maybe you're familiar with this verse. Maybe this is new territory. Maybe you're like the man I talked with that said, is this, is this, am I clinging to the right thing? And I can tell you, yeah. But when you actually analyze it, it almost seems redundant, doesn't it? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. But you know, it's not redundant. It's not superfluous. If you know anything of the human heart, if you know anything of your own heart, this isn't redundancy. This is blessed repetition when he says, I did it freely. It's a gift. It's not of yourselves. God says it over and over again. Salvation is by grace because we have to hear it over and over again. We are so ultimately legalistic in our thinking, meritorious in our self-righteousness, thinking that we, our standing is earned one way or another, that God repeats it over and over and over. And you know, this even answers, look at verse 8 again and see how it 
it's tightly packed and it answers those who say, well, yeah, but see, you have to do something. You have to believe. No, no. That's not the point. To believe in Christ is the opposite of doing anything. Remember when they came to Jesus in John 6 and they said, what must we do to work the works of God? In one little line, they got do and works in there three times. What must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's the opposite of anything you do. To believe in Christ is to turn loose of any of your doings and to cling to what he has done. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not telling you to do something as such. And I know that there are well-meaning people and a whole spectrum of people, some who aren't saved, some who are who are confused on this issue. Many religionists uh, who are probably sitting in a pew today in Christian churches, or at least churches with steeples on them, you know, and uh, many people would give lip service to the fact that Christ died for sinners. But they view salvation as something that you participate in. There's kind of a partnership. God did his part, now you do your part. And if you pressed them, some would say it's about a 50-50 thing. Oh, yeah, Christ died and all, but... And basically, their faith is in themselves. And their trust, they have not come to be saved. They have not been saved by the grace of God because grace is the only way you can be saved. Maybe they'd say, oh, 60-40. No, God does most. It's 75-20. But you've got to do your part. Maybe you think that way. Even Christians sometimes think that way and are confused. And think, well, he did most of it, but you've got to... Uh... Listen, it isn't 95-5. It's not even 99-1. If God did it that way... You see, remember, the book of Ephesians, the Bible, the God of Ephesians, the God of the Bible, God is righteous. He doesn't take 99s or 99 point something. To be in right fellowship with God, we must be righteous. And God provided the only kind of salvation that could be real. That is 100% His. He does it all. It's 100% His work. If He left 1% of it up to me, I'd flunk. He saves me by His grace. And the whole salvation process is a gift. You can't pay for a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. To rely on the finished work of Christ is to accept the gift of salvation, and it's to bask in the grace of God. And we need to be clear on it as Christians. We need to explain it as clearly as we can to others, and we need to pray that God would open eyes to the gospel of Christ. And even this morning, maybe as I speak, your mind is wrestling with this and you're realizing maybe for the first time that God is the Savior, that it's by grace we are saved, that it's a gift. The scripture says it over and over again. You cannot mix grace and merit. 
If it is by grace, Romans 11:6 6 says, if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. As soon as you bring in merit, there's no grace. It's, you can't mix the two. It's like oil and water. Turn back a couple pages. And just, I could give you verse after verse, but just turn back to Galatians, the book right ahead of Ephesians. There are so many places where the Bible teaches this, but look back at Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Take God's word for it. It's not as a result of works. And he says in our text that no one should boast. You see, grace completely destroys the foundation of boasting. Remember after he argues for this in Romans, he asks the question, where then is boasting? Chapter 3, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It's excluded, he answers. How? By works? No, but by faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. There is no room for boasting. Well, but the argument of Romans goes on. What about Abraham? Well, if Abraham was justified by works, as many people at that time were saying, and many people still kind of vaguely think that there was salvation by works in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches very clearly salvation has always been God's work because man, ever since sin entered the world, is completely helpless. But he argues the question anyway, and he says, well, if Abraham had been justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned as righteousness. There'll be no boasting before God. Turn over to Corinthians 1 for a second. 1 Corinthians in one of the best chapters in the Scripture, it seems to me, I've already quoted it when I said that God was well-pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe, verse 21. He's talking about the cross in this chapter and how the cross is to sophisticated man foolishness and to religious man a stumbling block, but to the saved, Christ, the power of God. And he gets down to the end of it and he says, verse 29, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What do you have that you did not receive? He asks later in chapter 4 of this book. If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? No boasting allowed when you really think about what it is that is your ground for salvation. One thing I missed, I don't know, there might be, but I didn't see any. I didn't see any comments about extolling the strength of the swimmer or anything else. I saw humility in those survivors, didn't you? And gratefulness. They've, some of them maybe didn't know who to thank. 
Uh, and oftentimes people just kind of thank fate or their lucky stars, or, but there's a humility because they recognized they were helpless. And that's the way a Christian is. There's no boasting. There's no boasting. But our text doesn't stop there. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, what is the place of works? The Bible labors to tell us they have no place in securing our salvation. We're saved by grace, not as a result of works. There's no boasting. Well, then is there no place for works? May it never be, the Scripture would answer. This is why this, this text is such a balanced text, and it brings us right around to what the role of works is. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, I've been pointing out as we've gone through this book that there are two times the Bible uses this term, poema, workmanship. It's the work of an artisan. It's something that God has done. In Romans, he uses it in chapter 1 regarding creation, creation. The things that have been made leave man without excuse. God, God's creation of the universe is his handiwork. Now, verse 10 says, we, the church, are his workmanship. We are his poem, if you will, poema. We're the work of his hands. We're the work of the artisan. The church is God's finished product. And we're his, some have translated it, masterpiece. And we are created in Christ Jesus. If you think of the first creation, that's why I would use the term recreated. He just simply says created, but he's speaking about the new birth, the rebirth we're a new creature in Christ. We've been created in Christ for good works. The Christian life is a life of good works. And notice then, look at the rest of verse 10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even in this, and Ephesians is such a great book this way because from all eternity past, God on into eternity future, God, salvation and all of history, God will be seen and his grace will be seen and even the good works we live in today and good works are always part of the Christian life. They were created beforehand, you know, prepared beforehand by God himself that we should walk in them. We're simply walking the life that he designed for us. That's what the word walk has, the idea of lifestyle. And wherever grace touches a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, there will be a life transformation. There'll be not only the judicial statement, I declare you righteous, justification, but there will be sanctification. There will be that desire from within to live for him. And that's why when sometimes, you know, when Ephesians 1 and 2 are clearly taught, or maybe Romans 3 and 4... You get to a place where the gospel of grace is really laid out. There are all, there are, there's always those who say, what about though faith without works is dead? What about that, Scott? What about faith without works is dead? You know what I answer? 
I get asked that quite often, really. I said, what about it? Faith without works is dead. <laughs> That's James 2. Wherever there's real faith, there will be works. But the ground of it all is God's grace, and we lay hold of God's grace by faith. John Calvin put it, well said, I think, about as succinctly as you can put it. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Always, where grace is grasped, there will be a life transformation. Now, it'll never be what it ought to be. And it's never any part of merit or any kind of adding to my salvation, but where a person lays hold of Jesus Christ by faith alone and clings to the finished work of Christ, there will be a change in lifestyle, a change in attitude. Sometimes if the outward life, you know, sometimes of the religionist or the upright and moral person, sometimes you'll see it more in the attitude. The works will be, the fruit of the, of the salvation will be much more visible to us in the attitude, because where there was a haughty self-righteousness that looked pretty good to other men, perhaps, the lifestyle maybe won't change in the sense of the behavior too much, but the heart change. The person will say, it is not me, it is Christ. I was a wretch, Christ saved me. And where there was gross sin going on outwardly that people could see, why you'll see a transformation and a change because we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you can put it this way, grace, properly understood, never, never leads to slothful, loose living. It always leads to a life, verse 10, of walking in God's prepared beforehand works. That's why I say this kind of takes you from early in the morning, you know, from our perspective, where we were dead and goes all the way through. And as I read the account, you know, of the, of the uh, disaster over there at Tillamook, the final paragraph, a guy was leaving town, one of the survivors, and he saw a fisherman on the jetty, and he said, that's where I'm doing my fishing from now on. And there was a little bit of closure for him. And, you know, of course, the, the disaster, our hearts go out to the families and the heartache of what took place. But you kind of get a little closure reading the whole account well, here you've got the, from our perspective, verse 1 through 10, he says, we were dead. He made us alive, and we now live in a prepared beforehand lifestyle of good works because we're on display. It isn't just that we'll be on display throughout eternity. We're on display right now. We're representing him. So he said, let your light shine before men so that they might see my Father who is in heaven and glorify him. And so our life is to display the character of God right here and now. And so we walk in good works. Turn over to Titus. Turn over to Titus. I think it's important to see this. Titus chapter 3. I think sometimes um, people think that to, to motivate for, you know, they... And, and preachers will do this, and Christians, and well-meaning Christians will do this, and we'll divorce parts of salvation to try to motivate people differently, like, well, you're saved by faith, that's right. But then we'll, we'll change to kind of a legal tone or 
fearful tone to try to motivate people to Christians to live the Christian life. And really, the Bible uses the finished work of Christ as the heart motivation for all this. And so Titus says it well, uh, starting at verse 3, and you'll see the parallel between Ephesians 2, even as I read it. We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's where we were. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's almost as if I'm in Ephesians, huh? And then he says this. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. He wants us to really understand that our salvation is by grace. And he wants us to speak of it clearly and confidently so that, look at verse 8, so that those who believe God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. The more you grasp God's grace, the more motivated you are to live a life pleasing to Him, to walk in those good works. Salvation is of God. God saves by grace, through faith, to good works. Oh, Father, we praise you for this. And I pray that we would sense, uh, sense, have that sense of awe that's the only proper uh, tone for us as Christians, even as we think about what those survivors felt uh, pulled out of the drink, pulled out of the, the raging storm, completely helpless. Uh, when we think about our condition and what you saved us from and what you've saved us to. We praise you, Father, and I pray that we would stay in a sense of awe and gratitude, that we would sing, but not merely sing at church, uh, that our life would sing forth your amazing grace, that our lifestyle would be joyfully walking day by day, step by step in good works that you've prepared for us, that your character might be seen and be on display even now as it will be throughout eternity. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Saved by Grace, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. It is grace. Yes, for by grace we've been saved. But the real solution to sin, the wages of sin was death. And the solution to our problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the essence of our salvation, the blood of Christ. He died for me and you. We've been redeemed, you remember, Peter wrote, from our futile way of life, inherited from our forefathers, not with all the money in the world. God didn't purchase us with silver and gold, but with blood, precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I'm quoting 1 Peter 1, I think it's verse 19, but look at here, verse 13. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Brought Near. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.